So it's Luke chapter 23, and we're in verses 32, and we're going to read all the way up until verse 43. Um, but, but you know what? What I'm going to do is, as I'm teaching, I'm going to actually go through the passage. So I'm not going to pre-read it because we're going to go through it anyway. And uh, hopefully, so if you guys haven't got this, what we're doing on Sundays is we sort of do a Bible study on the passage. So you get to kind of wrestle with it. So if you come on Sundays, it's really a great thing. You wrestle with the passage. And then when, I, when we teach it, then on Friday, the same passage, you, you hopefully um, just kind of gain more out of it. Um, so... If you want to get the best out of these things, come on Sunday and on Friday. I'm going to pray for us. Father God, I just thank you so much for your word. Uh, and I thank you that you can put passages like this in the Bible, which just are so mind-blowing and just so incredible. Um, and Father, I do pray that I may do it justice tonight and that we may leave here just loving you more than, more than we did before. I pray this in your name. Amen. All right, guys, so if you've been with us, we've been doing a series on Fridays and Sundays where we've been looking at just Jesus' interactions with people that are usually kind of considered as, as outcasts. You know, the real sinners in society, the, the criminals, the prostitutes, all of these things. And as I was preparing this, I had this thought that I think most teenagers actually don't quite get how mind-blowing these things are. And the reason why I'm specific, specifying the teenagers, though, I think a lot of the all the people here might also feel the same way. Is the reason I'm saying this is because when I did... So I do Christianity Explored uh, for teens. I run it here. And uh, I've done it about five times. And every time I do Christianity Explored for teens, I ask this question. I say, if God had to come down today, who would he hang out with? And then I say to them, picture Christianity never actually happened. Like it's never existed. If God had to come down, who would he spend time with? And 100% of the time, I've been given the answer, he would spend time with the sinners, with the broken, with the drug addicts, the criminals, the lowly in society. And I need you to realize that that answer is actually ludicrous. Here's why. If you had to chat to any person who was an Old Testament Jew, the idea that God would even speak to a human being would be ludicrous to them. It would be absolutely crazy. So if you had to say to one of these Old Testament people, you say, if God had to come down today, who would he hang out with? They would be like, probably none of us, maybe the high priest. And here's why, because in the Old Testament, when you read about the times when people interacted with God, those times were scary. You think about when Moses was on the mountain, on Mount Sinai, and he had a conversation with God. God had to have his back to him. Because if, God, if he saw God's face, he would burn up in an instant. In the Old Testament, you also have the Ark of the Covenant, which is this really big, glorious box that represented God amidst his people. And the Israelites would carry it wherever they went. But there are stories, like if you read 1 Samuel chapter 6, people literally just looked at this box and they died. And it was a representative, representative of God. It wasn't actually God himself. 
So to think that God would actually even come and hang out with the most sinful people in, in society is really just crazy. Another thing to think about is the way the temple was built. So I did a bit of research this week because I've always wanted to actually know just how big the temple was and how it was built. Do you know that the temple grounds, right? Just the grounds that it was on because the temple was in the middle of this, these massive grounds was about 10 rugby fields. Okay, so that's like the size, maybe even a little bit, probably similar size to the Mall of Africa. Okay, it was big. Okay, and this thing was in the middle of Jerusalem and in the center was the temple. Now you had these sort of the outer courts was where anybody who was not a Jew before, was not born a Jew, if they became a Jew, they could hang out in this area. Then in the temple itself, you had different courts before you got to what was called the Holy of Holies, which was where the Ark of the Covenant was kept. And sort of in the outermost part of the temple, that was where the woman could go. Okay? Then, a little bit closer, you had the men. And then a little bit closer, you had the court where the priests could go. And then a little bit closer, you had the Holy, Holy of Holies, which only once a year, and it was on Yom Kippur, which is one of the uh, things that, one of the days that Jewish people celebrate. It's a festival, that's it. On that day, the high priest could go in and actually be with God. And again, just a representative of God. And there's that rumor, we've all spoken about it before, there's that rumor that... Um, that the high priest would have to go in with, so first of all, so this is not a rumor, first of all, he'd have to do serious amounts of sacrifices and religious things in order to be clean enough to enter the Holy of Holies. And then they would put this rope around his neck, around his neck, around his leg. I pointed to my leg and I said neck. It was a bit dumb. Sorry. So around his leg, so that if he died, they, they could pull him up because they feared that if they had to go in there and get the body, they would die too. Okay? Now you might also be thinking, why wouldn't, wouldn't, isn't it a bit sexist to have the woman and then the men closer? I can guarantee you the women weren't complaining about being further away from the Holy of Holies. The Gentile Jews on the outside were like, yo, you can die. You know, you get closer. I'm in. This God is a holy God. So the idea again that he would actually come and spend time with the most sinful people is really crazy. And so I wanted to get that into our heads because I wanted you to see just how mind-blowing and amazing the series that we've been doing is. I mean, you got the woman at the well. She had multiple husbands, and the man that she was with at that moment was not her husband. God does not go, you should change before I talk to you. Get your life sorted out. He doesn't do that. He spends time with her. I mean, Zacchaeus, this corrupt politician, and Jesus goes and spends time at his house. I mean, it's just mind-blowing. And the story, I mean, I could go on, but the story we're looking at today, I find extremely mind-blowing. And it kind of just sums up really what we've been speaking about. And the big thing that I want to get across in this story is that although God is so infinitely glorious and great that we shouldn't even be allowed to come close to Him, His desire to forgive us and to have a relationship with us is just that more greater. 
which actually makes him more greater. So I'm going to read from verse 32. It says this, so you can read you can just read in your head with me. Uh, two others were criminals, were led away to be put to death with them. So now we're with Jesus and he's about to be put on the cross. And when they came to the place that is called the skull, there they were crucified. There they crucified him and the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. It's an interesting name, the skull. So what's happened here is that Jesus, so right near the center of the Jerusalem, the temple was built. And just outside of that, you had the center of the city. The city was built in a circular fashion, so it was round. And it was like that because God dwelt in the center, in the midst of his people. There was also practical reasons for that. Everybody could get to the center really quickly. And so what you had was Jesus would have been beaten in the center because they wanted everybody to come and mock him. That's what they wanted. Um, and then they would have led him out of the city, further away from the presence of God because criminals should not be close to a holy God. So they would put him outside of the city at a place called the Skulls, which some people say, some of the, the commentators that I read said that the, the, the rock was actually shaped like a skull, but also that was where all the dead were. And so what they were doing by this mere movement of putting Jesus outside the city was they were saying, he's not worthy of being in the presence of God. How ironic. He is God. Hey? And I want you to see as we read this just how they treat Jesus. So carrying on from verse 34. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. I'm going to come back to that. And then they cast lots to divide his garments. So what's happening here is, likely one of the Roman soldiers took his clothes off him. And casting lots means they literally kind of gave it up like a raffle, like it was a game. They did this to show just, to kind of send a message to Jesus, this is how worthless you are. You don't even deserve having your clothes. So they pulled it off him and they had him naked in front of everybody else just to mock him. Look how worthless this guy is. He calls himself the king of the Jews. And then they took his clothes and they kind of said, who wants it? And they had these kind of like dice-like things that they would roll. And then if you got it, yay, you got the clothes. Look how fun this is. Your clothes aren't even worthy. Look how cheap his clothes were. They could just be given away in a game. They're sending a message to Jesus. You are worthless. Let's carry on reading. And the people stood by, watching. The people didn't do anything. Here was the guy that had been teaching them, had been healing them in front of them, had been doing amazing things showing them that he was the God of the universe. They loved him. He probably healed many of their family members. And yet they just stood back and just watched. Let's keep going.
but the rulers, sorry, from verse 35 still, but the rulers scoffed at him, saying, He saved others. Let him save himself if he is the Christ of God, his chosen one. That's something that you see repeated in the passage. They keep saying, if he is the Christ, he can save himself. Now, this is something interesting about the rulers, right? If you go back and you read Psalm 22, the Psalm 22 is a, what's called a messianic psalm. It's written about God's chosen king. And in the psalm, you see people taking the clothes of God's king and just like it says that they basically cast lots for them, it says in Psalm 22 that they cast lots. It says that they mocked him and said that God can take him down from here if God chooses. Kind of sounds eerily like what's happening now, right? Psalm 22 was a prophecy of something to come. Now those people who were rulers, Jewish rulers, would have known their Bible backwards. And what should have happened when they saw this is they should have gone like, goodness, he's he's God's chosen king. This is God's chosen king. How can we do this to God's chosen king? And they should have stopped what was going on then. But because their hearts were so hard towards God, because they were so cold towards him, perhaps it was because they had so much hatred for Jesus, they didn't even think. Their brains weren't working. And instead, they carried on doing what they were doing. They were literally being exactly like the evil people in Psalm 22, who the psalmist literally says, I feel like a worm. That is how worthless I feel. Verse 36. The soldiers also mocked him, coming up, offering him sour wine. So basically, sour wine is just, let's just give him the cheap stuff. He's not worthy of anything better. In those days, water wasn't actually as safe as drinking wine because wine at least had alcohol in it that could take out some of the infirmities. Water back then wasn't purified as much as it is now. So if you're going to give somebody something to drink, you give them wine. Uh, and their wine didn't have as much alcohol as what ours does now. So, so wine actually was quite a healthy thing. But wine still... You could get degrees of good wine and you got really terrible wine and then if you wanted to make it really bad, you made it sour. And if you gave someone sour wine, it was basically just saying, you are worthless to me. So they gave him sour wine. And again, they say, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. And there was also an inscription over his head, this is the king of the Jews. Now I want you to Get this. Imagine, imagine you're at home and someone, some of your friends from your class break into your house and they grab you against your will and they drag you into your class in front of the rest of your, your friends and they strip you down and they take your clothes and all the while this is happening, they are mocking you, saying horrible things about you. And then they just play games with your clothes because they're trying to tell you how worthless you are. And then they take something that you really, really love. Perhaps you're a hobby. Perhaps you're a ballerina. And they say, look at the ballerina. And they put a message. The great ballerina, look at her now. 
<laughs> Can you imagine how you'd feel? The difference is this isn't just anybody. This is the God of the universe. And the one thing that these Jewish people should be doing is seeing this is the glorious God, except their hearts are so closed and so cold to God that they don't actually respond the way that they should. He is actually the king of the Jews. Now we're, getting, we're going to start getting somewhere helpful in this passage. Verse 39. One of the criminals was hanged, railed at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. How arrogant is this guy? And the reason he's arrogant is we'll see. Look at what the other... The other criminal says, the other criminal rightly just reads straight into this bad criminal that's on his side and just shows this guy's heart. He says, but the other, uh, verse 40, but the other rebuked him, which means corrected him strongly and sternly, saying, do you not fear God since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? We indeed justly, for we, rece we are receiving the due reward of our deeds, but this man, he has done nothing wrong. He's kind, of, he's kind of looked at this guy, this guy who's just shouted out, if you are the king, then you can save us too. And this guy's like, man, if he really is God's chosen person, he's not going to do something unjust, like take someone off the cross that should be rightly there. He's like, dude, how arrogant are you? You can just try and manipulate the God, the, the, the king. The, the king of the Jews, they might not have thought he was God yet, so the king of the Jews, God's chosen rescuer, you're going to manipulate him? Come on. So he shows just how arrogant this guy's heart is, and this guy too is mocking. But the only person in this room, in the, in the story, the only person who, who has brains in the end is this criminal. Look what he says at the end. He says, verse 42, he looks at Jesus and he says, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And what's God's response? Verse 43. Truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Now the reason I find this so powerful is because think of what how messed up and how flipped around this whole situation is. The people who were allowed in the, in the temple, closest to the holy God, who should therefore be the most holy people, are the ones that are actually not seeing who God is. And the one guy, now something I forgot to mention earlier, is that criminals were not even allowed into the temple. And if you were a criminal like these people, you were crucified so far away from the temple, you were outside the city. The one guy who is so far away from God understands, realizes who this Jesus is. And the way he speaks to God is just something that is so mind-blowing. He says, Father, just, says Jesus, well, he says, doesn't call him Jesus. He says, Lord, just remember me. Now, the reason I can say that this guy has recognized who the king, to Jesus is is because he says, remember me when you come into your kingdom. So he, he realizes this is the king. This is the real king of the Jews. He picks it up. And he doesn't say, Lord, bring me into your kingdom with you. He says, just remember me. In other words, Lord, I am not worthy 
to enter your kingdom. But if you could just take one small piece of me, maybe just a memory of me, I'll be happy. He rightly realizes who he is in front of the God of the universe. And he's like, you know what? I'm a sinner. I don't deserve this. All I ask is a little bit of mercy. Can you imagine how excited he must have been when Jesus said, today you will be with me in paradise? Royden Frost said to us that this is his favorite verse in the Bible, and I understand why. It is ridiculous that this terrorist just has to say, Lord, just remember me, and God forgives him straight away. Now picture Jesus on the, on the cross. He is in pain. He is suffering. But right up until his dying breath, he was willing to forgive. And now if you think of this passage, what is amazing about this passage is I mentioned there was that part that I kind of said I'll get back to. What, culture, what sort of starts this passage and ends this passage is forgiveness. Because right at the beginning, Jesus says there, in verse uh, 30, uh, 34, he says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. In other words, Jesus is willing to forgive every single person in this passage. If the guy that was offering him the sour wine just said, Lord, just remember me, Jesus would have forgiven him. If the people who were mocking him said, Lord, remember me, he would have forgiven them. This is the God who is so holy, so great, and so mighty. He shouldn't be walking with sinners. Yet his desire to forgive is greater. Just some closing remarks. Um, I find this passage just so overwhelming. The love of Jesus. You know that feeling when someone does something really loving for you? Like perhaps someone you're dating and they, I don't know, spend a whole week planning this amazing date and it really is amazing and you're just forever thankful for them. Or maybe it's just they, I don't know, they serve, they serve you and they, they suddenly re remember something that you told them from long ago and they ask you to pray about it or, you know, just some really loving act and you, you just feel like so loved. I feel like when I read the story, I'm just like, I don't know if anybody could be more loving than the Jesus in the story. And it makes me just want to love God more. And I hope it does the same for you. I hope it just actually makes you want to run to him and say, Jesus, I love you so much. The other thing that I find amazing in this passage is just the extent of forgiveness Jesus shows. I mean, this is radical forgiveness. How many of us would be willing to forgive the people that stripped us off in our classrooms, just gave away our clothes, told us how worthless we were? Except in that illustration, I didn't get to the point where they kill you. And yet... Jesus at any moment would have forgiven one of those guys if they just came to him and asked. Now maybe maybe you're here today and, and maybe you've looked at this Jesus and you maybe you're not a Christian. 
I think, hopefully saying this, you'd realize that it's never too late for you to actually come to the Lord. This guy that was with Jesus, who said, remember me? If you were crucified back then, it wasn't just because you did petty crimes. You were crucified if you were like a terrorist or you did major crimes. This guy should not be forgiven by God. Yet all he does, all he had to do was just ask and you receive forgiveness. You might be sitting here and you might be thinking, my life doesn't deserve forgiveness. This God, I'm sorry, Gareth, he's too perfect. There's no way you'll allow me to come into his presence. Hopefully the story changes your mind. If you're not a Christian, maybe today's the day to start. Right, let me pray for us quickly. Father, I just thank you so much that you have such a radical forgiveness. And I just pray, Lord, that we will learn from it. I pray that we will love you more because of it. And I pray, Lord, that if, if there are any people in this room that haven't come to you and haven't given their lives to you, I pray, Lord, earnestly that they do so. And I pray this in your name. Amen.